Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of equine wounds from a veterinarian's perspective. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2020 by Merck Animal Health. Our guest for this episode is Earl Gaughan, CVM, DACVS, a technical services veterinarian with Merck Animal Health. Dr. Gaughan graduated from the University of Georgia's College of Veterinary Medicine and completed his residency in large animal surgery at Cornell University. Dr. Gaughan has worked in private equine practice in Maryland and Colorado. Thank you, Dr. Gaughan, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about equine wounds from a veterinarian's perspective. Thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure to be with you, and uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity to do this. It's much appreciated. Well, uh, Dr. Gon and I were talking before this podcast starts. We're going to warn you, probably as we move along, our Southern's just going to get worse because you know we live out West now, and we don't get a chance to talk the mother tongue very much. So please forgive us if, if we start speaking a little uh, a little Southern on you today. So let's jump right in. Why is the history of a horse with a wound so important? Well, I think the veterinarians are listening to this all have had the experience of arriving to evaluate a horse that's had a wound and finding a different situation than they had perceived from either the phone call or the initial contact. Perhaps that's not as true today as it used to be in this day of cell phones and rapid exchange of photography we often are able to see something before we actually see the horse and the the wound as well but just to have the overall information clear as we get started with things it becomes quite important to um, be able to discern what we might be contemplating when we go forward to see the horse and so as simple as it sounds, you know, signalment becomes important. Are we dealing with an aged horse? Or are we dealing with a, a young horse? Or are we dealing with a breed perhaps that we have had different experiences with in the past? And then understanding the nature of the wound and what the client perceives as the biggest concerns become very important as well. So duration of wounding is something we emphasize a lot. A lot of us who've been seeing wounds on horses for a long time will understand the thought of having a wound that's acutely noticed versus one that has acutely occurred. And so sometimes wounds are not picked up by the client um, in the early stages. And by the time we were there, there may be granulation tissue present and things like that, which tell us the wound was certainly not acute. So I believe lots of the lessons that we've learned from horses in the past influence the the need for information we would like to have on the front end and what I call getting the history of a horse with a wound. So that's why I think it's important. Even before you had mentioned this, um, even before you get to examine the horse, what is it that the veterinarian would, would want or need the owner to do before you get there? Certainly. Falling back on the old premise of first do no harm, I think we have to counter the best of intentions that horse owners have. And sometimes that is some of the specific things that might be done to a wound because an owner has either done something before that worked or they've been told to do something by a trusted friend or someone else. And some of those things can actually interfere with our ability to do a good examination of the horse and the wound and get our therapy and diagnostic decisions started in the right um, 
progressive steps, if you will. So the things that I would prefer an owner do is mostly will determine when we can get together. Hopefully, if the wound is declared a, an urgent matter, we can do that soon. Um, if it's a more chronic thing, perhaps there's more things to discuss. But in the do no harm framework, um, I think we have to be careful what gets put on a wound. So I, my personal preference is if the owner can safely cleanse a wound with just simple clean water, um, that's a great place to start. But please avoid putting anything on the wound. I call it the rainbow approach to wound management where there's so many different colored topical ointments that actually can create some problems diagnostically for us and sometimes therapeutically, although most of them are targeted at doing good things for wounds. I want to be able to evaluate that wound as close to how it is at the state before it's been manipulated or altered. So good restraint for the horse, keep him from injuring himself any further, great care with what's put on the wound, and if bandaging is done, perhaps doing it as carefully and appropriately as possible from, from our instruction. And then we'll make some more appropriate decisions when we get together. Okay, and once you have arrived on the property, what are your thoughts on cleaning the wound and examining the horse in the wound? The first thing I think we can't forget because the client is likely pretty focused on the wound itself. We can't forget the old basics of do a thorough physical exam and that can be done fairly quickly. Veterinarians can judge pretty quickly whether this is an emergency situation that needs very specific things done at this time or not. And, uh, but a, a systemic evaluation of the horse's general health is important. Horses being horses, most of them can have even some pretty severe wounds and be stable systemically, but you need to know that on the front end. So evaluating that horse in a safe manner for everybody involved becomes an important process. So I call it going from examining the horse to examining the wound. And um, once again, if the wound has been cleansed, that's good. Um, but safely with plenty of clean water, I, just good hygiene practices, I think, are important here. A little bit of care with the disinfectants that might be used on the initial cleansing of a wound because we have to try to figure out what tissues are actually involved. And years ago, I was told that um, a good thought process here is to remember that a wound happens from the outside in, but we need to do our diagnostics from the inside out. In other words, knowing the depths that wound penetrated and the tissues that are involved because what I refer to as vital tissues are often the ones that determine the success or failure of our treatment and the long-term outcome for the horse. And the examples there most specifically are things like joints and tendon sheaths that if they are involved, they need to be prioritized in the diagnostic efforts as well as the treatment ones. So a close and careful physical exam of the horse and then a thorough exam of the wound are very important initially. So what is, when would you look at trying to do something in a sterile situation versus a clean situation with, with a different wound type? It's a good question because I think one of the realities that we face in the 
horse world and the environment we find horses in there there's nothing really sterile about a wound that occurs in this type of an environment so some degree of contamination most certainly has occurred so it becomes a matter of how do we move forward with our diagnostics in the thought of not making anything worse so if we are dealing with superficial tissues and highly contaminated ones, you know, our, our goal here is to obviously become as clean as we can in recognizing that sterility is not likely to be achieved. However, if we have tissues deep in a wound that we don't have certainty about, we have to be careful about how we approach those and again, not disseminate any contaminant further into a wound. So when evaluating things like joints, tendon sheaths, and other vital tissues and structures the, to determine what's the safest way to make that uh, diagnostic um, finding becomes important. So we may actually have to approach things like joints and tendon sheaths again or these synovial structures from a non-wounded perspective to see if they are involved in the wound. And the technique here is, is generally putting a, a and preparing a sterile site on skin in an unwounded per perspective, putting a needle in, distending those synovial structures with sterile solutions to see if they um, egress or come out through the wound, which would be pretty quick assessment that that joint is involved in this particular wound. So that to me is where adherence to sterile principles becomes very important once again in the do no harm uh, frame of thinking. Well, and in those kind of injuries, I'm, and I'm speaking personally here with a mayor who managed to get wire cut, um, of course a good quarter horse mayor, and cut all the way through the, the sheath, the tendon sheath into the synovial fluids. And it was, um, it was a big deal. How do you help owners understand that sometimes horses have to go to the clinic Sometimes they can be kept at home, but there are very explicit instructions that they must follow on keeping these wounds cleaned and the bandages on and, and having the vet come back out and recheck. So how do you get compliance on some of these more difficult wounds? It's a great question. It probably goes back to your first question a bit on the history, you know, and there's always some angles, if you will, on history that are able to be accomplished with a veterinarian and client who already have a, a well-established relationship. You know, a lot of my career was kind of spent in referral hospitals where I didn't know everybody who came in as well as I did when I was in practice and going to see them every day. So having that conversation on what's best initially becomes important. So that that triage of going to the hospital first or with veteran going to see the horse first can often happen after that initial conversation. Having said that, I think when you're horse side and looking at the horse in the wound and you determine that this horse's future soundness may be completely determined on how quickly the diagnosis is made and how quickly appropriate therapy is instituted, that may indicate that if it cannot be safely and, and accomplished well at the farm or at the ranch where the horse is, perhaps the hospital environment will be better. Um, I think we tend to think that the hospital environment gives us better control, but sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes that horse may be better treated where they are. So I have 
a conversation that ends up being split sort of in two types of prognosis. One is for survival and the other is for soundness. And typically with wounded horses, especially obviously athletic horses, the future of soundness is vital to that horse's um, um, very existence, if you will. So doing the best we can may dictate that that horse get into an environment that is much more controlled perhaps than can be accomplished at home. But you know, the other real reality for us is a lot comes into cost and how can we manage the cost of diagnosis and therapy and do the best we can for the client and the horse with um, the cost factors in mind. And uh, that may also be a factor here. And the way I usually put that to my clients is, hey, this is your horse, so you help me make the best decisions because um, we're going to have a very open conversation about where this can go for the future of your horse. So what, in your experience, how do you handle a, a case where a client basically calls and says, hey, can you come stitch this up for me? And you get there, you know, how do you determine do you suture? Do you not suture? What is the best course of action for that wound? You bet. It's a great question because I think the expectation for a lot of horse owners and a lot of lay people with even wounds of their own is that if we can just stitch this up, it's going to heal and we're going to get back to normal um, ASAP. That's not necessarily always the case. I think the veterinarian's exam will dictate tremendously where that is going to be successful and where it may be something where the better part of wisdom is to delay things. You know, when wound management texts were written early on, especially on the human side, there was this thing called the golden period, and most of us as veterinarians have heard that discussed. And then when, in reference to the horse, I think we fairly rapidly come to the conclusion that there is no real thing of the golden period, which is a certain number of hours from the time of injury that a wound could be safely sutured back and the skin returned to normal. So, so much depends on how the wound occurred, where the wound occurred, how much time has already gone by, and the degrees of contamination in that wound that are determined to exist. Once again, I think our ability to be a little bit more objective, if you will, um, is going to be quite helpful because quite often you will have to have that conversation of this suture job that you call me to do probably is best delayed for a period of time. And that period of time may be determined again on what tissues are involved in all of that previous list that we just discussed. So. Is what starts as a simple question and a simple call, hey, doc, come out and suture my horse up, can turn into a conversation. Well, no, I'm not going to do it today, but I may do it here in this amount of time, that amount of time, depending on how this horse and the wound respond. So there's several thought processes that go through our minds. You know, we, when we go out and we can suture a wound directly, and f most of us would tell you, boy, that's the rare sharp kind of uh, laceration that occurs and it's very clean and we can just reoppose the skin with suture and what we call primary closure and that works well before the onset of granulation tissue so that and that takes several days to occur and so we may have some time to work with to get that wound environment cleaned 
So then we have delayed primary closure, which is just that. Perhaps we work with bandaging for a, a day or two or three, and then we consider that the environment of that wound is appropriate for closure. We have other options as well, and what we call secondary closure, which would be the wait until the occurrence of that granulation tissue before it would become proud flesh, where we might see that the wound is um, being managed well, it's being cleaned nicely, and perhaps we can pull the skin together. And that, in my experience, depends entirely on where on the limb, because the further distal on the limb that we go and the as time goes by, you get retraction and some swelling, and those um, wound margins become more difficult to oppose. So there are some cases where the best decision that's made is to not close that wound at all and rely on what we call second intention healing or granulation, contraction, and re-epithelialization of that wound and the management that has to go through there. Obviously, that involves a lot more time and more care sometimes, but it may be the best route for the best outcome. And kind of going the other direction, I know you're a, a board-certified surgeon. When I was in Kentucky, of course, wonderful, you know, ambulatory veterinarians in Kentucky. And this same mayor also managed to get the corner of her eye torn. And my general veterinarian called in a surgeon and laid this mayor down in the field because she said, if we don't fix this correctly, this could cause her problems the rest of her life. So when should veterinarians call in a specialist, you know, if, if the wound is in a critical area or it might be something that, that needs more advanced uh, surgery? Today's Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the makers of prestige vaccines, Banamine, Panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their ongoing investment in our industry, profession, and community at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. Well, on the lighthearted side, Kim, it might be that they were worried that you were going to sue them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, it, it, many veterinarians, most veterinarians are quite capable of, of the appropriate wound management in time. And, um, but timing is such, and, and your veterinarian there was, was right, and the concern about functionality is an important one. Eyelids have a certain behavior that if they're not addressed early, and appropriately and reopposed nicely, then you can have some function of the eyelids that can be disrupted over time. So that is one of those locations where if there is doubt, I probably would want to have that horse in an environment where perhaps I can use general anesthesia to do the most precise and, and uh, appropriate tissue management that can be done. So. I think that is the time if you look at either the vital tissues as we've referred to before of synovial-like structures and supportive ones like tendon, ligament loss, and that type of thing, um, where early management of that is so vital to long-term outcome, then that may be best in a referral type of a situation. Um, what I'll call general wounding may not require that. But highly mobile tissues create some of those concerns that you mentioned. And eyelids, lips, nostrils, 
and ears are often tissues that are like that. Many can be handled in the field, but if in doubt, maybe it's time to have a colleague give a hand with something like that. So um, some of those general um, exam kinds of concerns once again come back into play here. And when we're talking about some of these cases that, you know, require maybe some long-term care, what, what do you look at as far as splints and casts and bandaging for some of this long-term uh, wound covering? You bet. You know, and, and that goes back again to our initial thoughts. And um, some people with, with a wounded horse might think a, a splint or something rigid on it initially might be the thing to do. And that indeed can be the case, especially if there are structural tissues that are disrupted like tendon, ligament, or bone. However, we have to remember with a horse's limb, much harm can be done if those types of uh, devices are applied um, inappropriately, we should say. And so I think, once again, if in doubt, wait until the veterinarian arrives and the veterinarian can help make that best decision. That said, many wounds that require immobilization for the best tissue management principles to occur, we can begin to look at things like splints and casts. And the fiberglass cast, when that came into general practice, it, it really changed things quite dramatically from the old use of things like plaster Paris casts. Now that's beyond the memory of most veterinarians today. But the nice thing about casts is they can be fairly readily applied. If you're dealing with an open wound, the wounds can drain through uh, that cast material, which is fiberglass, and that can be managed relatively appropriately that way. So it becomes a matter of cost somewhat, and there are times, and the, the best example I have there is, is wounds across the horse's heel bulbs where we may decide is that something that needs to be sutured? If it needs to be sutured, it's such an area of high tension and motion in the skin that simple sutures in the skin often don't hold. They will be pulled out because of the sheer physical forces of the horse on those particular tissues. So uh, the use of what we slang-wise just called a footy cast made the successes of heel bulb management so much better. And there are times when those wounds, uh, we believe, probably shouldn't be closed on the front end or more time has gone by and we see granulation tissue there that can't be managed with suture management. So an immobilization of that tissue allows the skin to be kept um, immobile and therefore you have that contraction and, and epithelialization that occur much more appropriately and the side benefit of that also is the avoidance of this exuberant granulation tissue or proud flesh, which is so common at a location of high motion like a heel bulb. So um, I'm quite a believer in immobilizing wounds for, for uh, successful management. You can also, they, they have a bit of cost on the front end that can be um, something for a client to consider. But I think most of us have managed these through time enough to know that an initial cast placement is actually a cost-saving maneuver versus multiple, multiple bandage changes. And so um, uh, for that particular location in the horse's foot, um, things like a, a cast are, are tremendous assets in the management of these wounds. The further up the limb we go, I think we just have to be mindful of 
how we place that cast and how we're going to be managing it. The old adage that I was taught years ago is a horse needs to stay in the location where the cast was applied. So that often meant horses stayed in hospitals a whole lot longer than we probably deemed uh, would or would deem necessary today. And the exception to that, once again, is the footy cast because those horses can travel quite a bit. They can even have some turnout if it's supervised and, and, and restrained somewhat like in small runs or paddocks. Um, but as you develop a cast more proximal in the limb, um, the restraint of that horse becomes a greater consideration. But boy, in the proper applications, um, immobilization in splints and casts can be a huge asset in wound management and getting a, a shorter duration of time of treatment and hopefully a better outcome in the long run. Well, and for our veterinarian audience, speaking colleague to colleague, give us some of uh, your thoughts on local and systemic medications to use in wound care. You bet. Again, I go back to that initial thought of being careful with topical medications um, when they're applied by the client prior to diagnostic efforts being undertaken. And that's simply because some of them can be hard to remove. Some can actually stain the tissues, and so you have some tissue coloration that may be a little bit challenging to work your diagnostic efforts around. But once we get through that, you know, they, um, the thought to me always wound-wise boils down to good hygiene and doing the least amount of harm is probably the best. Now, the veterinarians that are listening to this probably all have their favorite topical medication, and I wouldn't disparage anything that's working for them. My personal habits tend to, to do move me away from using a lot of topical ointments and medications um, simply because I wasn't sure I was getting as much positivity out of that as I wanted to. The old furosin and some of the petroleum-based things, they can be helpful in the initial stages to develop granulation tissue, but horses don't really need any help forming granulation tissue. They're probably one of the best mammals that we know of forming granulation tissue. That's why we have such issues with proud flesh. That said, um, there are topical antibiotics that occasionally can be helpful um, when we have high degrees of contamination. But once again, I'll fall back to good hygiene practices and cleansing that wound with um, simply clean or sterile water, um, perhaps a disinfectant um, like very dilute chlorhexidine, but you got to be careful there because young epithelial cells don't thrive well. Um, Betadine has worked for years and done well for us, so that's also something to keep in mind. So I'm I'm pretty conservative on my use of topicals. Systemic medication, I think, depends on the status of the horse, this the location of the wound, what else we're dealing with there. It could go from no systemic medications for the, um, the horse that has a small wound and may not have uh, large repercussions from that wound. We, I think most of us feel like rendering some kind of anti-inflammatory care is appropriate. So things like the flunixin, megalamines, the phenylbutazones, perhaps the equiox um, are things that are considered. 
Now, I think some in, in the, the purest realm of argument would, would say, you know, anti-inflammatory medications may disrupt the inflammatory cascade that is part of wound healing. So again, in all things, somewhat moderation here again is important. Addressing pain with non-steroidal medications is probably what I've traditionally done. There are other pain management mechanisms now should they be necessary. Um, but that is, again, usually dependent on magnitude of the wound, location of the wound, and what the repercussions of that pain response might be, i.e., is the horse painful enough to be overusing the contralateral limb, and therefore we have some laminitic concerns involved. The other drugs that we commonly use are antibiotics. Um, veterinarians are constantly extra scrutinized today on their use of systemic antibiotics. I think some of that's unjustified, but that's another day's soapbox. Um, my thoughts on antibiotic use is if you believe that the results of sepsis in the tissues that you're examining and dealing with would be devastating, if you did not use antibiotics, then that is justification for their use. Almost always we're using them empirically at the beginning and choosing the best antibiotic or antibiotic combination we believe will address the contaminants that are there. When possible, we always like to drive our antibiotic use with identification of the microorganism that may be present through culture and sensitivity work. That's always easier said than done in my experience because with these wounds you have such contamination typically that you also have an evolution of the bacterial presence that are there. So. I think the best advice here is just be mindful of your antibiotic choices and their, their use and their duration and make the best decisions based on your case in front of you, which of those you may choose. Other systemic medications, I don't really have a, a whole lot of suggestions there. Um, I think, again, just what's worked for you and what you believe is required based on the tissues that are involved should probably drive both local and systemic medication choices. And what about regenerative therapies? What is your uh, experience with those? My experience with those is, is somewhat mixed. Um, you know, for me, when I mention regenerative therapies and wounds, we're typically talking about platelet-rich plasma or PRP, or perhaps some stem cell applications both of which have a substantial price tag to them. And so I think, again, we have to review what our goals are and what we're trying to accomplish. My first experience with platelet-rich plasma was an interesting case because it was a, a horse that had a, one of those kind of ugly dorsal hock wounds, um, somewhat of a degloving wound, so closure was not possible. The owner happened to be a cardiovascular surgeon here in Denver. And he just asked up front when we were going through our diagnostic efforts if we were using PRP. And we told him where we were beginning to, but we we're still kind of wondering what cases it would be best in. And he shared his, his experience that when he would open a human chest to do what he did surgically, he started using PRP solution in his sternal closures. And he said, I have been struck with how much better the wound heals and how much less pain my clients experience and describe in their post-op period of, of convalescence. So he encouraged and he went for it with this with his horse and 
at the time we had um, a solution available that you could centrifuge it and get a, a liquid solution or centrifuge it a second time and kind of get a gelled product. So we use the gel product topically on his horse's hock and, you know, it's all so subjective, but it appeared this horse healed more appropriately and more quickly than in my experience had told me to expect. So I, I came away from that reasonably positive. Now, subsequently, you've tried some in some wounds and topically and wasn't as convinced I was getting anything. Um, one of my former colleagues um, at my last teachings site has done a lot of research with PRP. And one of the things I think we learned is that the same horse may not provide the same platelet-rich plasma product in the morning that they do in the afternoon. And there's also then a lot of variation between horses. So it, it may be that we're not always using the exact same thing, if you will. But I have had some other experiences where I have injected some PRP solution into the, uh, into the subcutaneous portion of some early epithelial development and some of these wounds that we were managing by second intention. And my clinical impression was pretty positive that we sort of accelerated the epithelial development. And I, there may be some who are listening to this that are rolling their eyes and going, no way. But that was my experience there. I've had conversations with folks who have investigated stem cell use, and and I'm not certain. You know, my experience with uh, stem cell preparations intraarticularly with wounded tissues after arthroscopy was a little bit mixed, and um, I've had the same experience um, treating wounds. So I. I guess my personal thought here is that if I were to reach for something, it might be in the line of, of a platelet-rich plasma-type product versus a stem cell one. The costs of these things are something that I think merit discussion with the client, and um, I think the jury's still out on case selection, what is best, case expectations when we use these. Um, I'm, I'm confident the future is, is bright for their use. I think we just still have a lot more to learn. So I'm, I'm encouraging. I just wish I had a, here's your step one, two, and three to make the selection and how to apply these in the best way for every wound. But again, it sort of goes back to every wound on every horse is a little bit different. So I think um, we have to just be mindful and thoughtful when we when we go into these, but I'm, I'm encouraged for the future here. Well, is there uh, anything else that you would like to share with your veterinary colleagues about wound management? You know, there was, there's, I just would probably encourage veterinarians to not be hesitant to be creative. Um, you know, there were things that were such violations of initial hard and fast rules that we should never do and the thing that's just coming to mind at the moment is using absorbable monofilament suture in skin um you know i was educated years ago that you should never ever do that but i've actually had quite a bit of success with that and some of the things that are studied in a pure research mode um they have to be done that way but so much changes when you have a naturally occurring wound. And so I, I would encourage veterinarians to keep that in mind as well. And, um, 
you know, it's very difficult to mimic a naturally occurring wound in an acceptable research model. So some of the studies that we see, they have to be done that way. And certainly I applaud that. But sometimes the takeaway message may not be completely applicable in the field. So for the veterinarian that's out there facing the wounded horse, I'm making decisions for that horse and the client. If something makes sense to you and you have a question, just call a friend, you know, and run that by them. But there are times, and I've seen some things veterinarians have done that really made me think twice that that was a great idea that I had not had before. And so I think creativity and wound management is, uh, is important. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Gon, for being our guest on today's episode of Disease Du Jour. And we want to thank our listeners for joining us today and give a special thanks to our 2020 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Please listen to rate previous and future episodes of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. Follow Equimanagement on Facebook or send me an email at kbrown at aimmedia.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network. <laughs>